0: Good afternoon. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. And today, I can't tell you how happy I am to have Janet Kaufman here in the studio. With me, Janet. Welcome, welcome back. Thanks so much. <laughs> it's back. great to be here. Looks the
1: same. I'm happy to see a familiar place.
0: <laughs> oh well, it's I. It's happy to see you too. Yeah. As am I, and as Stephanie um, is as well. Who's our engineer um, behind the glass? And and welcome everybody, everyone listening, everyone out there uh, in radio world uh, to the. This new semester, a new place on the schedule for Living Writers Thursdays 5 to 6. So Janet Kaufman graciously um, said yes to coming and helping us kick it off here. Um, and thanks to, like a million thanks to Amanda Yulee and Frank Yulee for um, the programming over the summer. They're awesome Living Writer shows. Um, but now, on to Janet Kaufman and the book before us on the table, *Eco Dementia*, um, just out, just out with Wayne State University Press. Um, thanks to Christina for sending it along to me a while ago. I've got. The, the arc here, the advanced copy. So hopefully there's been no major changes to I don't it. think anything's <laughs> changed. Nope. It, it's a beautiful book. I love just that like the, the how it fits in your hands. Um the I did the too. book itself. I
1: really like the
0: cover and the way it was designed. I was really pleased about that. It, the Wayne State University Press yeah. always does that great uh, just a phenomenal job before you know before we sing any more praises for anyone else i'd like to read <laughs> your bio and i'm going to read it from you've got a, an event coming up of uh, september 26 bathhouse events poetry reading and mixed media talk by janet kaufman at the student center auditorium at emu so again september 26 4:30, and we'll say it again before the end of the program too Born in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Janet Kaufman grew up on a tobacco farm as a mostly Mennonite pacifist in a mostly Mennonite pacifist community. She has published three collections of poetry and numerous books of fiction. Her collection of short stories and essays, Trespassing, Dirt Stories, and Field Notes focused on the water pollution crisis from factory farms in the southern Michigan watersheds of Lake Erie. And just as an aside, that's when we last spoke. That's right. Was for this, that that's very right. book in 2008. 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the early days of me doing living writers. Right. So thanks for being brave enough to come back, Janet.
1: <laughs> Still the same water pollution issue. Nothing right. changed.
0: <laughs> we have a lot to talk <laughs> yes. about. In fact, you might have to come back a lot sooner. That's That's all I have to say. Um, But continuing on now, her ongoing eco-dementia project includes poetry, photographs, and mixed media assemblages addressing local as well as global environmental risks now that a habitable planet for innumerable species, including humans, is at stake. Janet lives in Hudson, Michigan, and has worked as a writer, farmer, teacher, environmental activist. She farmed hay for many years, about 12, before restoring wetlands on the farm and putting the land in a conservation easement, protecting it in perpetuity as a sanctuary for ecological study and for letting things go. And for walking around. That's walking right. Walking around. I love the idea of like it's for part of the mission of it is for letting things go. Because yeah. it feels like that's already um, yeah. how you work with language every moment, Janet Kaufman. It's, it's got layers to it, like letting things go.
1: The wildness of places and the letting them be themselves naturally, whether it's plants, animals, whatever. You know, we've lost so much of it. And it just seems so important to... Let it come back as far as that's possible. but if, And I think, too, I think of the same thing with language. There's some way I want it to be almost as wild and feel as physical as, you know, when you're walking out through grasses or through a forest or something. You feel physically that you're present in air and light and in the face of all these things. And there's some way that language has that physical quality for me, too. It's like a physical material and is that how
0: in the so, so jumping right into the the book, eco dementia? Um, could I could I define it as yeah, you do? Yeah, I think that the, definition the, is really helpful. The front piece, um, eco dementia, condition of humanity, a love of the living world while causing and suffering its destruction.
1: Right. The whole idea of dementia has hit me in a couple of ways in recent years with my my father had Alzheimer's. So I heard him talk in his language of dementia. And then if, in my own uh, ecological work and environmental work, it has seemed crazy that we continue to do practices that we know are polluting. So how what kind of language can you muster to... Talk not even about these things, but to represent sort of how you feel about them. And so I think the the dementia part that uh, really changes the way I use language, both in both the way that you have this kind of crazy love of a place that's kind of crazy <laughs> and full of you know excitement and energy. But also then the crazy, the insane way that we treat things. So it, it sort of collides
0: those two ideas of dementia. And was this was this a word that you've you made up? Yeah, and titled I did. the book and, I really, and define.
1: I really did want a definition that focused on the state of human action in the world. I mean, this is such a huge issue these days in so many ways. And it's hard to find a language for it. Action and non-action. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the kind of the sense of being almost lost on our own planet, you know, as if we have lost what sustains us. And so when you, it reminded me so many times of the way my father talked, you know, if any of you have relatives with dementia or I mean, so often they want to go home. They keep talking about going, every time I'd see my dad, you have a car, don't you? Take me home, you know, no matter where he was. And so what was home in his head? And I spent so much time writing down things he said and thinking about it. And then it seemed very close to what I feel about the world, you know, just in a normal human daily life. So how do we... At what point have we disconnected ourselves from the world as our home so that we pollute the water, pollute the air, these things that really sustain us? So that definition, I worked a long time to figure out how to even bring it all together because it covers, it's a complicated territory. But to me, it finally ended up helping me think about what what my position was towards uh human beings in relation to the world um so i guess i sort of keep coming back to that even though you don't find many of the poems in the book that directly address the ideas it's what underlies everything that i've been writing
0: and it seems like the poems because the book is structured it's in three parts um but the poems in the i think in the final section especially with the I think those are the poems with about my father. your father, mm-hmm. and and then also um, Abu Ghraib as well yeah. in within there like next, like right next to these as and it's, it's, an, it's in well yeah, yeah it's another kind of insanity.
1: I mean when that happened to be occurring, we've learned about the torture and the abuse at Abu Ghraib uh, back in the about the same time that my dad was really becoming um, you know seriously out of touch with reality and he had hallucinations and a little paranoia, which many people do. But to hear him say these things, he would be so afraid sometimes. And it was horrible to see, you know, he'd be, I'd walk in his room, he'd be under the covers, somebody was coming after him, that sort of thing. And it just felt like um, there's a certain kind of horror, whether it's in the brain of an individual, or in the life of human beings that, I mean, we hardly have words for it. It's you know, we can talk about virtual reality all the time and sort of an altered reality, but this is real. I mean, it was real what he was experiencing in his brain. It was real what these people were experiencing uh, at Abu Khraib and other tortures and all the devastations around us. So to me, some way of having both an insane language but somehow still readable, so it doesn't matter to me so much if it doesn't make literal sense, but that it carry that feeling of disruption and strangeness and isolation.
0: Wait, would this be a good time to... to- Look at Fernverse? I could
1: look at Fernverse. Hey, why don't I read the one about my father first? Wonderful. And one. then we'll come back to that
0: because that one's
1: okay. That's really uh, well. I a think long it's story disruptive. about it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
0: and, and I thought, that's amazing because you put it as the first poem.
1: I thought that would be it's, give people fair warning well, well, it, of what
0: to expect. <laughs> and it's not, so it's not even in one of the sections. That's so right. it's even resisting being put in a section. Right. Yeah. Because uh, I didn't even write that. Oh okay. Well back um, to that. Let's 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 which poem were you actually, thinking about? Since we've
1: talked about let's look at that first oh, one. That, okay. that makes sense.
0: Um but we'll come back. We'll come back yeah, to it your It says your
1: if I can find it. It says it's from Pollard's Synthetic Speller, which it is. That's an old book from about 1928. I read this book over and over again. It is to teach people how to say words phonetically. So there are strings of four words or three words on every line in this book, and in the book there are accent marks and little, uh, the little marks for whether something's a short syllable or long. But they read almost like. Senses of poetry to me.
0: Was this a found poem or did you move things around for this? I moved things around. Because I felt like there was a pattern at work here that I don't think would have been in the original. I went through, because I wanted this
1: to be connected to the natural world, I went through and I picked out the lines that had something to do with either nature or just something. And so, I mean, it's a long book. You, I could put the whole book out as a poem. I mean, it would be great. But this is just a sele- sort of selected lines. But, okay, I'll read it. And it has a great image of a fish, which is also from the, from the speller. All right. Fern verse, first verbs. Jerk, learn, girl firms. Born horse, bore porch. Sort thorn, wore horns. Pint drill, twist, splint, lint fill, tilt fists, fob, nod, hot fog, sob, todd sot, hog, rock, cross, thong, bonds, lock, moss, song, ponds, hooded, hooded, routed, rooted, wooded, counted, smoke, mole, grope, notes, choke, hole, rope, bones, lead, hen, leg, sex, fed men, wet, yes, he, mere, fee, bleed, she, sear free, weed, tide, time, mire, files, lifeline, wire, dives, jade, cake, page, flame, wade, rake, wage, snake. (laughs) I love wage, snake. It just drives me crazy. I could just read those lines over and over again.
0: They're like revelations, you know? (laughs) Thank you, Janet. We're going to take we'll take a short break and then we'll be back. Janet Kaufman, Eco Dementia, um, just out with Wayne State University Press. I'm T Hetzel. You've got Living Writers. We've got Stephanie behind the glass and we'll be back. Tuning in. I'm glad you did. Um, you've got Living Writers. I'm T Hetzel, and today on the program, Janet Kaufman is here. Um, we've got her latest book of poems out with Wayne State University Press Ego Dementia on the table with us and we just heard thanks for picking the song you <laughs> right. know for today Janet It was a lot of fun <laughs> So what could say could you say a little bit about well, the this one, one we just heard I mean
1: probably some people recognize it. it's Tom Waits from Black Riders and it, it, I just love this one It's just an interlude in, in the album but it's this noise and you know, sort of clompy noise and that crow. And I just love it. I I really like that piece.
0: <laughs> and, you know, it's especially, ab- well, actually absolutely perfect for right now because I feel like it's that time when the crows are starting to return to Ann Arbor. And I don't you know, know, maybe coming through Hudson too, where they just seem to come en mass yeah. and settle in on some streets, you know, around. You Birds know. are on the move. <laughs> this is true. Especially those crows. Yeah. <laughs> um so, so what well, we were talking about sound when we yeah. we were before the break as well, um, and the importance that it's playing in your your work. Right. Well, always I think.
1: Yeah, I think it has yeah.
0: always. I think more and more as I really
1: consciously feel like I'm working with language as this physical material rather than. I mean, it's, I have ideas that are sort of pushing me to work with language, but the language itself has a physical structure and quality and patterning and layering that it's just so important to me and I almost want right readers to feel the language that way rather than thinking oh and you know f- reading a poem and being able to summarize it for instance and be just, just like that one we just read that the little bits of words I yeah, mean you could look with that <laughs> yeah that's right it's sort of collage like effects that um really for me do a couple of things it's it helps me work with the kind of brokenness that I feel, the damaged planet that I feel we inhabit, uh, rather than having something very clear or looking at the natural world and writing a poem about a plant. Let's say, you know, and it, that to me, a plant is no longer just a plant. It's part of a whole ecosystem. It's part of a whole planet, and that there's there are disconnections and ruptures because of the human presence that are really important. And it's hard to know how to... I think a lot of writers, a lot of artists are struggling with ways to uh, really address these kinds of things in the world because they weren't... We didn't view them that way before, you know, a century ago. Humans had a very different place in the world than we have now.
0: Right. It almost seemed like there was endless bounty. And there's that theme of, like, the even... Like almost biblical that stewardship, as right. if the, the the humans are at the top, so everything is right. to well not at the top, but any you know what I
1: mean. Yeah, and the point of, the of s- view system
0: on the global that's
1: right. Yeah. The point of view so much was through human eyes, uh, and now I think it's really important that we relinquish some of our own do- not just dominance in the world, but just even in the arts and with uh, the human focus so exclusively. So that's why the language to me really can work in this very different way when I fool with it. And, and to come back to my dad and what, the way he used language, part of it was so powerful to me because he would just sort of lay things out, what was in front of him. And sometimes it was almost like a list of statements when he'd, we'd be talking you know. It seems like there's a poem that you have in here. Um. Yeah, I wanted to read that. My father tells me it's called, and most of these are things that he actually said. In fact, pretty much I think every one, but you know, not in this order. But So this is my father tells me. The horse in the circus in the yard has sharpened teeth. A black dog ran under the table at the apple tree. A man is a bird on the peak of the roof all day. Three men with guns stand at the door at one o'clock. The man with bug eyes hovers over the bed. The man with bug eyes in the mirror has a knife. The man with bug eyes takes every shoe in the closet. A woman spins in a red skirt and explodes the trees. A banana is a turnip. A handkerchief is a sock. Which way is home? Do you have a car? Do you drive? Take me to Mary Jane's, The Water Gap, Pop's Farm. The coat has arms, has legs, has a hatchet. There's nothing there but green grass and sticks. The water is loud with frogs at the bench. Brown needles lie on the path in the woods. I know where you live, but I don't know who you are. That last line, he actually said to me one time, you know, when we were talking, we were talking about where I live. And I, I was saying, do you remember the path, the bench, these things. And he said, yeah, I remember the bench, the frogs, just those last lines. He says, I know where you live, but I don't know who you are. And it's so weird. It's just so strange to think about what that means from within his brain, you know, in his mind. And so, I mean, I said to him, well, if you know where I live, you probably, you know who I am. And I really feel that way. It's almost like, the place I live is, I mean, I know it so well, and I've lived there so long that if you want to talk about who I am, you better talk about the geography of that place rather than, you know, who my family is or where I grew up. So it's—it, it, his words just opened up a whole different way of talking about who we are as human beings.
0: And even raising it, like, there, it's so much to say in that moment, Janet. Mm. Like, the, but raising the stakes of what it is to be human in the, the place where you live.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and to, to what, what you know about where you live and what you don't know. So what you know about yourself and what you don't know. I mean, just the unknowables you know, are kind of overwhelming. But when you don't know who a person is, it's, I mean, to me, it just makes sense. The last thing to go in our minds would be us a, a sense of the landscape and geography. Rather, I mean, I can see why you'd forget your children <laughs> before you'd forget a, a hillside. It seems odd, but I, I really thought I understood why my dad would have forgot who I was, but he would remember the places that we had been.
0: Is it something about these, because these places are here before us, and, and hopefully they'll be, like, there's, like, what the world is, hopefully it'll be here after us?
1: You know, I I really don't know, but I think about, um, there's this one, um, oh, what's his name, Svante Pabo, P-A-A-B-O, he's a paleogeneticist, he studies, he's learned how to take DNA from ancient, ancient bones, and in his writing, he talks about the human madness gene that he's looking for the DNA to show where we moved from being creatures within our own habitat, identifying with it, you know, living fully within it. And when we became people who destroyed things, destroyed other parts of our habitat, you know became what we recognize as human beings. It's almost like defining nature. That's why I put the eco-dementia as a human condition. That idea he has about... and I don't know that he's completely joking about finding a madness gene, but something went wrong, or something is askew in the way we operate as a species in this world. And so, when you look around, I mean, there's so much joy and beauty in all these things, too. And human interaction, that's wonderful, but holistically now, especially now with climate change and the huge impacts we've had as a species and our population just, you know, sucking up every resource there is, you've got to wonder uh, <laughs> what it is that's askew up there. So. Right,
0: right. And, and so for this moment, for you, so this book was, was it 10 years in the making, Janet? Or well, how,
1: or the first... Poems about my father were about that long ago. Not even quite that long ago. It was mostly I just jotted it down when I was talking to him and didn't really write things till after he died. So that has, it's been about maybe eight years or so. But it was it's funny the different things. And we didn't even mention all the environmental work yet, but that's sort of the third element in yes, all of this we, that you, really comes that, <laughs> in. So for about the last 15 years, uh, I was working as a volunteer with different watershed groups and local environmental group in my watershed, which is Bean Creek. And it's mostly an ag area. And it flows, Bean Creek flows down into Ohio and goes out the Maumee to Lake Erie. So this is where where I live and where my farm is is the headwaters of Lake Erie. And you've probably, everybody's heard about all the problems in Lake Erie with the toxics, toxins, yeah. microcystin toxins from the algae. You can see it. You can see it. Absolutely. shoreline.
0: Yeah. Even, I was thinking how it connects in the Atlantic down in South Florida, where people are even, there's so much algae or some sort of the same sea like growth. On the coastline there, where people are leaving, having to leave their homes yeah. because of the smell and the and toxicity,
1: and in the inland lakes now in Michigan, we're finding the same thing. So really? yeah. So this and the impact from my area was very specific and visible. These very large industrial dairies, big factory farms, were built there in oh, the early. 2000,
0: 2010, that that period, there was a huge boom in those. And that, your book, Trespassing, is people could go to that to learn some more because there's nonfiction and fiction within that book. Exactly.
1: And that's pretty much directly addressing the issues that started then but continue now. And so it would be like this
0: mass runoff of like manure and the animals kept in horrid conditions. And well,
1: the main problem in terms of Lake Erie is the fact that the manure is liquefied and then sprayed on fields and eventually makes its way to streams and that flow into Lake Erie. So it overfeeds algae. They get extra fertilization that way. But it's a big problem. And in all these years, even though the problem has become known and the source, sources and causes are known, the practices have not changed much at all. So, I mean, when you know a problem and don't act to solve it, to me, that's another kind of craziness. You know, the insanity of that. We know it. We know what we have to do. We have to change practices substantially and probably mainly treat manure— animal waste the way we treat human waste you know, put it through wastewater treatment and then you can handle it it's it sounds difficult but it was difficult with humans but we had to do it <laughs> actually when you
0: said it i was like well there's the
1: solution everybody a, janet <laughs> Hoffman just said oh no it's not just me <laughs> uh,
0: it's being, it's being
1: said by many many people An in activists, but
0: how do we yeah. move how do we move that forward Well, then? It,
1: it costs money and that is always the issue but Because it costs particular people money. It costs particular people money who don't want to do anything unless they're paid to do it. So it's involved with whole economies. I mean, this is such a huge issue. In in the case I know best, it involves agriculture. But there are other, you know, the fossil fuel industry. There are all these industries that uh, we know the difficulty with them. We know what some of the solutions could be. So it's going to take a lot
0: of action from a lot of people. To move this one step forward. Do you, um, it reminds me also in Ann Arbor, we have a, a water situation with a yes. dioxin plume. Yes. Um, Absolutely. That's a long-term thing. And it's been since, it's, is it from the, the 60s when they first began you know, polluting the lakes?
1: I, I really don't know specifically, but I know it's been a long time. Uh, Yeah, since I haven't lived in Ann Arbor, I haven't followed it as closely. And, of course, there's the issue in Flint, which is another matter of river water being too corrosive for those pipes and, you know, all the lead horrors that have come along since. So, I mean, we got our basic, basic human requirements of water
0: and air that are really being put in jeopardy. Uh, And is our state one that is... Because I would say it seems more surprising to me that our state is one where this is happening yeah. because we are surrounded by the Great Lakes. Beautiful water. And so mm-hmm. much fresh water. Yep. So not, it's not like it's, it's salt water. It's not like, right. you know, we're in a desert. It's, right. so, we have
1: a lot of groundwater. We have very uh, rich resources but then that way.
0: But then if we're poisoning the groundwater. Right.
1: Right. I mean, for a while, Michigan was at the forefront of environmental matters when I first moved here in the 70s. I mean, it was seen nationally as leading in terms of the environment. But uh, things have really changed, and and not just here in Michigan, but especially given our history. it's, It's very sad. So we have to
0: recuperate. We have to heal ourselves here, <laughs> really fast. <laughs> well, let's. We'll take a short break, and then we'll come back um, today on the program. Janet Kaufman is here. Echo Dementia here on the table with us. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be back. <laughs>
1: toss a stone in a river it sinks to the bottom I won't rise up either hey 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 this here's a tip
0: Welcome back you've got living writers i'm t hetzel today on the program janet kaufman is here eco dementia on the table um janet's latest book of poems um and also, your photographs are featured too, but before we go on to this, there's so many things i I just love seeing you. I just wanted to say Thanks. that and um and to say say that it was two thousand eight, like we mentioned before when you were last on the program um and back then you said to me, um something about living in ann arbor and in michigan actually and so i it just struck me again because of us just talking about we were both sort of fiercely talking about Michigan in a way where you feel like you can tell that there's love there and this like this feeling for it. And you said, if you're here seven years, T, it'll happen. It could happen to you too. You actually said it will happen to you. Oh, that's funny. Because you said you didn't feel that connection. It took me seven years. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Now that sounds short. I'm surprised I felt at home here after seven years, but it takes a long time for me to so nowhere I am. I feel very disoriented if I don't know, like, where the water's draining, things like that. You know, there was all these swamps here. And where I grew up in Pennsylvania, there's this limestone under the ground. And, you know, and everything drains really fast. You have streams. You don't have drainage tile. Like, we have to artificially drain the fields. That's part of the problem with the liquid manure. It gets in those tiles that are under fields where we don't see them. But they drain off water or we'd be farming in swamps but so it took me a while to even I didn't even know fields were tiled when I moved here I had never been in a farm where you had to do that so there was a lot for me to learn and also just plants to identify you know not even to identify but just to know what I'm looking at somehow that's really important and to have a feel for the lay of the land I love this gentle kind of glacial landscape where I live in Western Lanaway, Eastern Hillsdale County, it's it's really beautiful. But it's also heavily, heavily farmed. There's not too much original, um, you know, wild space left, wild places. Uh, so that's why it's been so important for me to not just work on the activist side of issues, but also to do what I could in a very small way to protect, you know, some places.
0: For example, on your own farm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and. Letting the land return to right. its, its own way.
1: Yeah, took out some drainage tile and those became wetlands again like they had been at, at some point. And it's really satisfying. It's, it makes you feel kind of like it makes me feel when I walk there like that is it's right next to my skin. I'm very aware of that. You know, as you move through air or you touch grasses or something, it feels like that absolute close connection that's hard to feel if you're new to a place, you know, it takes a while till you know where you can move your arms easily and, <laughs> you know, where
0: you can walk. So. Yeah, it almost makes it, when you're saying that, um, Janet, it makes me think that it takes a while to figure out how to be human in a place. Right. Like and how to be are. kind of creaturely human. Creaturely yeah. Human. Somehow yeah. I think
1: we, the more technologically advanced we become as a species, the less creaturely we are. And, I mean we feel. And I wonder sometimes if that isn't a part of a, the problem we have feeling kind of lost and weird and you know ill at ease with life because we we sort of don't know where we are. Uh I don't know. It it's a it's a, it may be more of a personal thing than it is whole you know, for the whole species, but I I mean, I think enough people feel out of place sometimes and awkward as human beings. And you think, why is that? Where can we feel comfortable? Where can we feel at ease just to be outside? To me, it's always the answer. Go outside. (laughs) If there's any problem, I want to get outside and go for a walk. So that solves my problems. But I know it's not that easy, but uh, it's a beginning.
0: Well, you know, we were we were also talking about the, the music again, because at the break we got to hear Lucinda Williams. Yes. Um, and you were laughing a little well, bit. Well, <laughs> I love
1: that song, the hey, hey, hey song. But, but especially the lines, hey, 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 this here's a test and may not be the last. And I just, the words, they're so simple, the words that she uses. But it just, I mean, it kind of makes me laugh, but it, it, it's exactly how I feel sometimes about... Uh, they are presence in the world and she may be talking not about that but it, for me that's the connection that i make but <laughs> yeah i just love the i love that uh
0: the simple language that just adds up <laughs> yes uh there's so much i th- okay we're going to come back to eco-dementia um your book but i think um what might be good right now for a moment or two um is to talk about eco dementia the project the larger project okay. which is available um that people can go and see it um at JanetKaufman.com, mm-hmm. and um there's a tab eco dementia project and um it's it features photographs for right. for those of you guys if you're driving out there can't right. quite bring it up online right now um could you could you talk to us a little bit about this this wing of the project because it seems to really you you're using photographs right. as well as other mix, yeah mix and media. i haven't
1: done much with photography before but i think as i was working on these poems and thinking so much about the different kinds of brokenness and damage and how on the one hand it's it's horrible if humans cause it and in the natural world, it happens all the time, you know, like with floods and winds and things like that. And some of those things to me are absolutely beautiful and strangely compelling. So a lot of, some of the ones that are sort of at the top, near the top of the page now keeps changing as I add things. But right now there's some flood photographs from this spring. We had four floods in this little stream that goes through my property and it, You know, the water is so strong, it just, what we know from Irma, just the last few days, it just tears things apart. And Harvey. Yeah, and Harvey. And then deposit, as the waters recede, there are all these deposits of debris. And... This is not plastic and junk, but this is natural debris in these photographs, but it's, it has that quality. If you'd been in Texas or somewhere and watched a, a stream go down, I'm sure you could have got photographs that show all kinds of human debris as well. And there's something really beautiful about, for me, seeing the little parts and the random way things go together, but then the wholeness of it. I don't know. I just love it. It's It it gives me the same kind of excitement as in some paintings where people scribble. I love those scrawly ones where people are just, you know, scrawling paint or ink over a canvas and everything kind of overlaps. And for me, those are iconic images of how we experience um, both the damage in the world and the beauty, both at the same time. And it's very important for me to recognize both uh, almost equally, you know, to be responsible as a human being, you have to see what's damaged. But on the other hand, wow, to have some joy in living, which is really pretty basic to me. uh, And I think that most people, you you do want to have some sense that this is a good time while you're here. And for me, looking at these scraps of things, I don't know, I can look I've took about 60 pictures now there are only five in
0: here so you
1: don't have to look through all 60 but (laughs) I can look through all 60 and I love it you
0: chose these five though and how and there's like a a line of text floods do not leave us alone or without consolation that's right the the compacted beauty in that language again the the layers of meaning that that then you have there because it made me think the floods are keep returning, That's right. right? But then also is in a, in solace, and then the cons- mm-hmm. consolation is maybe this, like what you can then see as yeah, you're framing the it, the compositions it. Right. here. And yeah. so, did you then? Because there are five photos, as you say, and they're still images, but you've got them in a slideshow format, so right. that was that all particular? Was it? Is it to guide us to see it in this certain? Yeah, I chose
1: five that it's from the same debris heap, pretty much, just different parts of it. But for me, looking through these, they're different enough. And if people take their time and look at them, they're little tiny things to see and a little shell in a spot. I did not arrange anything. This this is the way it landed when the water went down. And there's something... um, Just interesting. It's like your eye can go all over it. It's not like there's a focal point, but Mm -hmm. your eye can look all around. A lot of the same with some of these poems. You know, they're just line after line after line and... Phrase after phrase after phrase, so that you don't know what to. One's not more important than the other, but all together they really do something like a
0: Cezanne sort of landscape or so, yeah, composition. Just, yeah, or like those uh, somebody who does just a lot of squiggles oh, or something. Yeah. But, and so, but not to be misleading too, though, because I was struck by the um, the intensity and the placed feeling of these poems as well. Yeah. Like so, from what you're saying, because i i i i know what you're saying, and and I believe that wholeheartedly too. But the experience of reading the poems too, um, is that it they're so they're so they're orchestrated, yeah. And so and the there's not and there's nothing wasted, and it's each of the placement is so meaningful. Like it's the intensity of language in these poems, and they're relatively short.
1: Yeah, I I hope that's true. It's sort of exhausting, but. Uh, On the other hand, for me, that really works to keep that almost like physical presence, like the words are right there. You know, they're all kind of right in front of you. You know, thinking of what we were just talking about with those photographs, there's one poem in here maybe I'll read. Uh, It's called The Knife and the Fish. And it's sort of what I was just saying about um, things just being there separately, but somehow coming together in a, a way that you can't predict. Uh, and these are all just subjects and prepositional phrases the whole way through. And I had such an interesting time working on this. It's called The Knife in the Fish. Um, so you'll, you'll, see, you'll hear what I'm talking about. The lion in the cloud, the scar in her palm... Three birds on the mantle, a shoe in the gutter, wind in the basement, a tooth in the grass, green ice in blue water, her hair in the comb, the horse in the field, snow on the rug, the knife in his thigh, the knife on the board, the knife in the fish, dragonflies on the cake, the cake in the wagon, her foot on the pedal, the chair in the fire, the rock on the nest, the bleach in the baby, the house on the barn. The book in the coffin, the dog in the stream, the rope on the rail, a boy in a tree, a gu- the doll on a stick, the seed in the scat, the girl in the shed, a bowl on the floor. See, I mean, they don't go anywhere, but what I really love about that language is no matter what subject you put or, and what prepositional phrase, it's going to sound ominous. I mean, it's just grim, it's just there's like threat, you know, yes. a tooth in the grass. It's, yes,
0: it's, 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 on a stick.
1: Yeah, and it just, I was sitting around one day, just put uh, thinking a couple phrases, and you think, why is that? It, something in our language. I mean, you can also make pretty ones, I suppose. Uh, I couldn't probably, but somebody could. <laughs> Let's take a short break The rose in her hair There
0: you go Never say can't We're going to take a short break here on Living Writers Janet Kaufman We'll be right back
1: That's the way the stomach rumbles That's the way the bee bumbles. That's the way the needle pricks. That's the way the glue sticks. That's the way the potato mashes. That's the way the pan flashes. That's the way the market crashes. That's the way the whip lashes. That's the way the teeth gnashes. That's the way the gravy stains. That's the way.
0: Welcome back. You've got living writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Janet Kaufman is here, and we just heard a little Tom Waits. What was the line that was fading out? Oh, the Janet.
1: last two lines are my favorite, and it's why. <laughs> that's the way the gravy stains. That's the way the moon wanes. Now, who uh, think about the gravy, and then the moon? I mean, to me, that's just wonderful. That's the kind of combination of things totally weird, un- and surprising, but and it's and the gravy stains it's just ordinary ordinary moon wanes it's so
0: beautiful that's right. crazy and it is it is the ordinariness of it but once you put them next to each other right. Right. then you're like you have heck tom waits that's, <laughs> that's, <pretty laughs> that's <nice>. brilliant
1: <laughs> you got the stain you got the moon. i mean you yeah. know you got it all
0: yeah. <laughs> um and oh so i want to also remember that um Everyone, upcoming event with Janet Kaufman, um, September 26th at the Student Center Auditorium as part of bathhouse events at EMU, poetry reading and mixed media talk. So are you going to, um, Janet, are you going to be talking to like have images and some of these things as well? Or are you going to be talking about assemblages like the, should we hop down to the bug women?
1: Oh, the bug women. So I think I will show that because that's a little harder for people to to, to imagine you know.
0: so so well maybe we won't go <laughs> no. and then challenge it but janetcoffman.com and you can go and see these these bug women but it's
1: one of the more uh, explicitly connected to current issues and concerns because those are actual photographs of these manure fields with black liquid
0: manure on them here that's in michigan in, right in, around where i in Hedin, live in hudson so very yeah. close to home very right. localized these are
1: all photos that either i or some people in our group have they look taken.
0: like complete devastation well it right? looks that
1: way it certainly is it looks that way for a short time while it's Just black and goopy, Mm. but now uh, you know they disc get in, and so it's supposed to act as fertilizer. But of course, it's so wet, and if you have any rain on it,
0: it will just it'll just just run off. And and so and what you've done here is you've created these. um, uh, It looks like these plastic. You've found some plastic figures and even um, and tweaked them a little bit. I didn't
1: do anything to them. I just put them on.
0: Place them in the frame.
1: Yeah, on the picture. it was so much fun there's a lot of this is bug women and it is also creatures from the depths lots of fish things who have come to confront the
0: mechanisms of manure pollution which even include <laughs> like a, a giant you know truck yeah, uh, pulling it, a they, tank of manure
1: exactly and this is the one she's looking at now is a big they call it a dump box it looks like a big railroad car they sit in the field fill it with liquid manure and then pump it through a hose and spray it on the field that way. So. And
0: so so for this project, when you are talking about it or showing people like it, it what do you want to provoke in them? Or do you want to? Make oh, oh,
1: absolutely this is meant to provoke. It's meant to be funny too. Yes. Because it's I mean, I spent 15 years being very reasonable about all of this. <laughs> I mean, that, we, t- that time is over. Well, you know? <laughs> I, I'm still reasonable, but it's not enough. It's not. No. It did not change anything, and you know, we've tested the water. People are still testing the water, giving right. the data to the agencies, talking to ag committees. I mean, you know, a right. lot of work, town councils, the whole deal, and. And, as I said, I think some of the education did work because people learned this not was not just complaining neighbors this was a real issue uh, of air and water pollution and and so that's known. but these practices that are in these pictures continue to this day. they have not changed they're still legal allowed uh, they may not be the uh, recommended, but that doesn't mean there's any penalty if as long as they're operating within the permit that allows these uh practices it's uh, they can do it, and it 's just amazing to see there's one that we 're looking at where through irrigation hoses they 're actually spraying liquid manure, so it 's black you know stuff flying out, so that gets aerosolized and carried to neighbors and beyond uh, it 's just a horrendous bunch of practices that have not been changed substantially in the last fifteen years, so it, it seemed like It needed another approach. And for me, this was just so much fun to put together. I had a ball placing these women in various positions, turning off the hoses and mustering sharks. And it was it was a lot of fun. It sort of
0: soothed the heart. And it's like the fish have their revenge because they're coming on to land in a way to try to say, hey, save save us. (laughs) Um, So what does this look like? Because it says on the site that it is a continuing project. So what is this what you're working on right now? Um, Janet, or uh, what? This is,
1: this is sort of the order in which they were done. So you're at the oldest at the bottom, and so they put new things at the top. I don't know how long I'll keep doing this, but it was it it just sort of depends what happens and what I see when I'm walking. I I really enjoy doing some of these photographs that are very close up, so you you aren't seeing pictures of things you're seeing much closer in than that so sometimes it's hard to tell what you're looking at and like even the cover of Eco Dementia the book they used one of the photographs that was of uh, was originally a huge bunch of Indian grass it's a native prairie grass and it grows out of the center and like you know the stems spray out like the sun kind of but then I Altered a lot of the photographs to make them explosions in the sanctuary is what this one they're called, because I mean to me it's also an interesting image to have the explosion, but um it's almost like a tearing brightness yeah, it's in fact, this is all done bodily. I've got to tell you, this was not done with Photoshop or anything. I was so determined to put myself physically into this so this was done in my kitchen with uh the pho- a big photograph uh on plexiglass just sitting there and the sun pouring in the kitchen window and i could position myself so the sun like would shine under m- through my armpit <laughs> kind of onto the photograph and then when i'd take this a picture of that it would white out it was so uh hugely bright and uh so you can't even tell that what you actually see is in shadow, my shadow, and the part in the middle of the picture, the white explosion of various shapes and well, angles was all done just by positioning myself in front of it.
0: Well, I'm struck by how, how beautiful the image is, but also yet um, it feels violent
1: yeah I hope it does because i'm you know just very concerned about we see explosions in the sanctuary in churches you know these days ter- that's a kind of terrorism, yes, and for me, the sanctuary of a place like my place or a lot of natural areas and you know beautiful wild spaces or ordinary wild spaces, so much of what we're doing is damaging them too uh so yeah, I wanted it to look
0: pretty violent and are you are you writing as well
1: yeah i'm still writing um not at the moment summers i don't usually write much i'm a seasonal writer i tend (laughs) to write when it rains and when when it's cold and i can't be outside so i haven't been doing too much now since uh since the book has been put together i've got some a few things that i'm working on but some prose poems and some longer prose poems, it's hard to know whether they're fiction or not. I, sort of like the middle one in this book is about three or four pages of a, I think of as as a prose poem, but, because uh, it's hard to call it fiction, but it's hard to know what to call it. But that's the kind of thing I'm working on. It's sort of weird fables, you know, of, uh, I mean, that one I really like in this book because it's sort of, a, these two characters as if they are totally absorbed within the natural world. You can't even see them sometimes. (laughs) You know, they blend in. They're like camouflaged and draw their energy from uh, the world at large. And it just feels, uh, you know, it's hard to call them characters or people even, but uh, there's something uh, that connects for me about the the best things within us have that kind of... uh, connection to the natural world
0: and that section is called undercurrent right i love how we've talked our way within this book but not in any sort of linear that makes a lot of sense to me (laughs) (laughs) Um, and i could talk with you forever janet kaufman so i hope this is this is just one of like a Book, a continuing series since we know we've done it once and again and um and a, a quick moment so to remind everyone again um september 26th um janet kaufman poetry reading and mixed media talk um, at emu's bathhouse events um also, this is kind of excites more local news, but <laughs> now that Living Writers has got its new spot in the the fall lineup here on WCBN, um, we also have we're launching a website. Um, so, folks, you can um, you can it's it's on the it's hosted by like Mich- University of Michigan as well. So, if you just Google Living Writers, um, hopefully, it will come up in your search engine and you'll see it because the the address is a little little longer it's sites.lsa.umich.edu forward slash living hyphen writers forward slash which is a lot so if you just google it or whatever your preferred search engine is fingers crossed you'll come across it and um that way um gradually not all the shows are up there but um uh, janet kaufman show will be appearing at some point i'm hoping this weekend i'll get it up there but you can see recent recent shows like miley malloy um Uh, Billy Bragg and and the amazing shows that Amanda Uli and Frank Uli put together uh, as well. Um, So those are all up there now. Um, Check it out, folks. And also, if you're so inclined, uh, please uh, head to Instagram Living Writers, because we've got one of those and there'll be um, a photo or two of Janet up shortly. Um, So uh, please check it out. Um, Janet Kaufman. Thank you for being here today.
1: It's a pleasure, thank you.
0: and for for your work and it just it, and your fierceness, your and compassion. <laughs> um, and so and thanks everyone for listening. Thanks to Stephanie for engineering. Um, I'm T. Hetzel. until next time.